This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Let's start the show with a Joe Biden tweet. I know, I'm sorry. In Buffalo and Uvalde, I spent hours with family members whose lives will never be the same. They had one message for all of us, do something. And then he goes on and blabs about all the specifics on his policy, but that's not the important thing of the tweet. The important thing is that we do something. We've all been hearing a lot of that lately, and you might even be cynical, but not me. We must do something. Here at Studios America, we are on board with this do something movement. Here's something. Every kid has to come to school on rollerblades. It's impossible to commit a successful mass shooting on rollerblades. When you start shooting, you just roll down the the hall backwards. So that's something. Why don't we do something? How about mandatory 50 caliber machine guns for every student? as part of the school uniform. They're all wheeling around a cart with a belt-loaded 50 cal automatic. Hallways, yeah, might be a little congested, but at least we've done something. And that's all we have to do, something. Just do something. Do it now. It doesn't matter what that something is. That's not important. Just do something and this will all stop. How about this? We only employ teachers who are also pedophiles. That way, if, God forbid, someone does target a teacher, it won't be a heroic teacher protecting the kids. It will be a convicted pedophile, and people won't feel nearly as bad about it. Would that solve the problem? Of course not, but would it be something? Yes, and that is the standard here. What do we need to do? Something. And when do we need to do it? Now. Do you oppose any of these ideas? Do you think kids shouldn't be on rollerblades with machine guns while surrounded by pedophiles? Well, why don't you just do something? Is it the gun lobby? Hmm? Do you want children to suffer? Well, now we know who to blame. It's, It's not the culture. It's not the family. It's not the politicians. And it's certainly not me. It's you. You're the one to blame. Because despite all of my fantastic ideas about incredible rollerblading pedophiles in schools with guns, you just sit there and you won't do something. More specifically, you won't do the exact thing that I want you to do. And that's the problem. And that's something that we want to do. That something is everything. Thanks a lot, you bastards. Stu does America. BlazeTV.com slash Stu is the place to go. To subscribe to Blaze TV, you can still use that code debunked, I think, to get 20 bucks off your subscription. Do that right now. Do it, do it. And if you're on YouTube right now, click like. Just do it. It's easy. Follow the show wherever you can. We really appreciate it. We're going to talk a little bit about the wonderful escapade we are all involved in. It's Pride Month, everybody. We'll get into that in a little bit. Eric Swalwell is going to be racking up some fancy vacations on your dime. But we start by doing a canceled culture. I'm fascinated by what is going on in our media right now. I'm fascinated specifically with the Washington Post. Now, the Washington Post is... 
You know, I mean, it's certainly a second-run sort of New York Times. They've had a history. There was a time where they were known as the paper, and they were the paper that was breaking all those big stories in Washington. There's always been lots of rumors about how politicians and power players would leak stuff to the Washington Post to send messages to their opponents, and sometimes we've noticed in recent history, their spouses. But the Washington Post is supposed to be a high-quality journalistic organization. We all know a lot of times that's not exactly true. But the, 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 what we've seen over the past few days has, has stretched this to the most bizarre level you can imagine. Let me start with Dave Weigel. Now, Dave Weigel is a reporter. Uh, he is a guy who has, at times in his career, worked on covering the right. And when you have a reporter who's covering conservatives, a lot of times you get very shoddy work. I know he's been critical of Glenn in the past, and I think that's why I have such a bad impression of him, which may or may not be fair. I'm honestly pretty biased on that particular point, so I I grant you that. But I bring that up mainly just to note that I don't have a reason to defend Dave Weigel. He's just some guy. Honestly, my impression of him is pretty negative. I don't know exactly the details as to why or how I came up with that impression, but that's just in my head, and I'm being honest with you. I, I don't think that much of the guy. But he has had an odd week, I will say, at the Washington Post. Let me give you this. He retweeted this joke, and you might find it offensive, so cover your ears. Every girl is bi. You just have to figure out if it's polar or sexual. Now, look. Is that an offensive joke? Yeah, it, you know, it really is. It's it's I mean, it's wrong right off right off the, you know, the top. Uh, obviously, a lot of girls are both bipolar and bisexual. Um, so, I mean, it's just not accurate, uh, technically. And that was ve- you'd say, OK, is it a funny joke? I mean, you know, again, it's more of a wordplay than anything else. It's not really an anti-woman thing. It's just the fact that someone discovered bipolar and bisexual start with bi. That's basically the entire joke, okay? It's not exactly, you know, rocket science. You're not going to appear in any Dave Chappelle special anytime soon. But it's a, it's a relatively harmless uh, gender joke, okay? Women, they're crazy. I can't believe it. Um, so uh, Felicia Sanmez, uh, she is a reporter at the New York Times, and she tweeted this. She said, fantastic to work at a news outlet where retweets like this are allowed. Re- where retweets of jokes are allowed. Is there a place in America where retweets of jokes aren't allowed? Oh, yeah, let me think about it. Yes, America. Uh, apparently the whole place. No, you can no longer retweet jokes. Somebody pointed out that, you know, uh, this was a joke about how women are crazy. And boy, did this reporter prove Dave Weigel wrong. Because, man, are they... This is how you show your sanity. Try to get your coworkers fired for retweeting jokes. And basically, that it didn't quite get him to the firing level, but he has been sus- suspended for a month without pay for retweeting a joke that was, let's be honest with it, if you can't handle that joke, get off the internet. The whole internet. I mean, not even just Twitter. The entire internet. You shouldn't order from Uber Eats because at any point you could be offended by something. It's completely ridiculous. Now, to add to this ridiculousness, this reporter, Felicia Samas, has talked about how she is close friends with Dave Weigel. 
There are a lot of ways to deal with a joke like this. The number one way to be clear is to just keep scrolling and not think about it for another second. That's the number one way to deal with a joke that you don't like. However, there are others. If you are actually offended by a joke that your good friend retweeted, you could call him and say, hey, Dave, I mean, what's this? It kind of offended me. Now, to be sure, Dave should say you're a psycho, but still you could at least attempt it, right? You could email Dave and say, hey, Dave, I didn't really like this retweeted joke that you wrote. Now, you'd feel dumb typing that sentence because you are dumb if you type that sentence, but still, that is a more appropriate way of going about it. You could direct message him on Twitter. That's another way you could do it. You could kind of say the same thing. And again, you'd be an idiot for doing it, but you could do it. You could, I don't know, call your manager. I mean, that seems kind of psychotic, right? You could say, hey, uh, you know, Dave Weigel retweeted this. I don't think it's appropriate. Again, you should just be straight out fired for doing that because it's insane, but you could do it. Instead, she goes publicly and attacks her good friend, Dave Weigel, and gets him suspended without pay for a month. Now, there are so many people, and I, you know, I don't know Dave Weigel's work all that well. I've read that he was sort of critical of the concept of, of cancel culture. If that's true, I mean, he's seeing this bite him on the ass. This is what it is. This is just insanity. Right. What what weirdo acts this way? What weirdo sees a joke they don't like and tries to get their coworker, who they call their own good friend fired? They shared a byline on a story like a few months ago. They're supposedly close co-workers. And here she is trying to ruin his life. Why would you act this way? When did we start acting this way? There are people we are. I'm at the blaze right now. Right. Blaze TV, great organization. We love it here, of course. Lots of hosts here. Some of them I don't agree on about everything. Some of them tweet things that I think are not so great. Sometimes I tweet things that they don't think are so great. Sometimes they think I'm wrong. Sometimes we all think everybody in the company is wrong except us. What does that mean? Of what consequence is this? Can you not live in a world where people find other things interesting, where people find other viewpoints correct, where other people find jokes funny? You can't live in that world. Are you an adult? Where does this come from? I mean, it's got to come from the colleges, right? It does seem like that sort of culture has permeated now what we see uh, in our workplaces and now even in our newsrooms. So you have this psychotic weirdness going on at The Washington Post. Retweet, you know, you know my stance on this. It's pretty extreme. You should never get fired for a tweet, no matter what's in it. Now, as I've said over and over again, there will be times in which people will tweet things that are fireable offenses. But it is my view that even those should not be fireable offenses because, you know, we might let a few through that are really bad. But just as a general concept, you shouldn't get fired for anything you tweet. Pretty much ever. So that's my stance. On the other side, you should get fired for continually doing your job poorly. Okay, that is something that people should get fired for. And now 
the part of the story where we get to Taylor Lorenz. Taylor Lorenz is a reporter, columnist. They call her a columnist a lot. I thought she was a reporter. I think she was at one point. Now she's a columnist, which I think lets her make stuff up. I think that's the distinction. Um, but she's a columnist at the, uh, at the Washington Post, and she covers Internet culture. Now, there couldn't not be anything more vapid and meaningless than Internet culture. Um, I know that it affects the world, and that's why I guess it's important. And I guess that's true. But that's the world's problem. Like, the, the world has made an error in allowing Internet culture to affect it. Okay? It's just pathetic, and it's just where we are now, I guess. So they have an internet culture reporter, and this internet culture reporter seems to think her job is to lie and make crap up every single day and then get coddled by her newspaper. Now, why does Dave Weigel get suspended for a month when we went through the entire libs of TikTok saga, which was outing a private individual to get that get her harassed for the rest of her life. Um, we all know how pathetic she was in that scenario, but let me give you her new scenario. She wrote a, a story, and again, if you're going to have something less interesting than internet culture, perhaps you could write about the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial. Well, she says, who won the Amber Heard Don Johnny Depp trial? content creators that went all in. So see how she does that? She took the Johnny Depp trial and then made it even less interesting by tying it to internet culture. But apparently there are some that did do that. Uh, they covered the trial, some of them for years, and went, did this back and forth saga. You know, look, celebrity news is something that a lot of people really like. And so they wound up making money on YouTube. Well, this was the focus of the story. She wrote that story, and then Lorenz, in the course of writing it, uh, supposedly reached out to two content creators cited in her article. Now, one of the content creators she claimed was making $80,000 a month. That content creator outed her by looking at the site that she got the information from, which said the content creator was making something like, I'm, gonna, I'm butchering these numbers maybe a little bit, but it's something like this, somewhere between fifteen dollars and $79,000 a month. So... Taylor Lorenz took the 79,000, the highest part of that range, went above it and rounded it to 80,000 and acted as if that was definitely a salary, which is, that's not journalism, guys. If I did that, if Glenn did that, if anyone here did that, the Washington Post would have 12 reporters on it constantly, you know, uh, bitching about it and complaining about how we're making up numbers, which we wouldn't do. At the very least, we would say as much as 79,000. We certainly wouldn't just say concrete, it was 80. Who does that? Beyond that, apparently the content creators came out and said, you know what's interesting about this? They didn't reach out to us. The Washington Post didn't reach out to get our comment. The content creators reacted on social media, denying her claims about reaching out. Lorenz also wrongly attributed a statement to Johnny Depp's representative, Adam Waldman. The Washington Post then added a note to the bottom of the article saying it was updated to clarify comments made during Waldman's testimony. Washington Post then also stealth edited the part, if you don't know the stealth editing process, instead of adding a correction to the bottom of the story, they just changed it. Just changed it online, hoping that nobody would notice. They took the phrase out about trying to contact the YouTube uh, creators because, you know, she didn't do it. She wrote the story, included them in it, and then didn't reach out to them. 
this is what she does. Um, the uh, A bunch of news organizations and outlets decided to reach out to The Washington Post to ask about why they were stealth editing their stories after publication. And then they did issue a correction afterward. A previous version of the story, inaccurately attributed to Adam Waldman, a quote describing how he contacted some Internet influencers. That quote has been removed. The story has also been amended to note the post attempts that to reach uh, that umbrella guy, which is one of the guys, uh, for comment. Previous versions uh, omitted or inaccurately described these attempts. Lorenz then blamed the miscommunication with an editor for the mistake on Twitter. Um, here is, uh, let me give you that the cycle of blame here. Lorenz tweeted, last Thursday, an incorrect line was added to a story of mine before publishing due to a miscommunication with an editor. I did not write the line and was not aware it was being inserted. I asked for it to be removed right after the story went live. The line was a sentence that I reached out to two YouTubers for comment on my story. The inclusion of the YouTubers was only in passing, citing another outlet's reporting. After the story went live, I reached out to both YouTubers mentioned in the sentence because it wasn't like she got caught and then reached out. No, no. She uh, reached out afterward because her editor wrote a, a line in the story for her that she didn't, she didn't uh, actually write herself. That's what you're supposed to believe. She goes on. The mention of these two individuals was not remotely the focus of the story. It's become a huge distraction. I spoke to two dozen creators for the story about the trial, along with other experts who were quoted in the piece. This should have been a small correction for a miscommunication, but it turned into a multi-day media cycle intentionally aimed at discrediting The Washington Post and me. There's no need to discredit either one of them. You're doing it yourself. There's no effort needed to make this happen. This is just who you are. Stop denying it. You know you don't do a good job. You know it. You know it. I mean, you have to know it. You know that when you're doing your job every day, you're cutting corners, you're going for a narrative, you're not doing a good job. It's okay. It's what I expect out of the Washington Post, but just own up to it. Just admit you're just doing a terrible job. You're just not good at the job you've chosen. Lots of people choose jobs. I could choose to be a chef right now. I'd be a terrible chef, right? I could be, I'd, I'd be coming up with recipes. They'd suck. But I don't become a chef for that reason. And perhaps you should consider another line of work because you're terrible at this one. She goes on. We have a responsibility to recognize that these bad faith campaigns for what they are and when these sorts of things do and do not warrant acknowledgement. I'm extremely happy at the Washington Post. I chose to work here because it's an extremely incredible place filled with amazing, talented journalists and editors. Bad actors recognize the Washington Post's earnest desire to hear and incorporate feedback and they exploit that. This is my favorite part, though. I know that the stuff I write about and go through is hugely unfamiliar to the vast majority of people in media. I have great hope that all of us can learn from this experience. Now, you might want to learn so much from Taylor Lorenz. There's probably so much you could incorporate from her experience into your life, but sadly, you can't do it on Twitter. Mm -mm -mm. Why? Well, after all this went down, Taylor Lorenz has made her Twitter account private. That's right. She's so open and transparent about her media coverage that you no longer can see any of her tweets. This is pathetic. Can we recognize it? 
They're they're suspending for a month Dave Weigel for retweeting a joke. And yet this woman comes on, terrorizes people's lives day after day after day with falsehoods and still remains employed, still remains doing the job and protected not only behind the wall of a Twitter uh, private account, but also from her employer who continually seems to do this exact thing. When you let people with the intellect of a 14-year-old intern run your company, this is the sort of company you have. Our entire culture has gone insane. We'll talk about that next. Are you listening to this right now as a podcast? You may be. If so, you should be listening on Raycons. Now, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I try to get as many as I can, and as well as audiobooks. Uh, I try to read as much as I can, and I will say, when I have a book at home and I'm reading it at home, and then I get in my car, I kind of want it to continue, so I'll flip to the audiobook side and do some audio reading in my car. Uh, Raycon uh, can help us as well as you walk around town, as you go shopping. Uh, maybe you're picking up groceries. You pop in the Raycons. A couple great things happen. Number one, you get to hear your podcast or your audiobook. Number two, nobody talks to you because they see you have earbuds in. I will say the problem with the Raycons is they're flush to your ear. They look, feel, and, gr- and sound better than ever, but sometimes people don't notice them. Unlike, you know, some of the competitors that are like dangling below your ear. The Raycons are, they're stealthy. They look great. They give you eight hours of playtime. Fantastic audio quality. You can charge them wirelessly. And this is a huge selling point. With Raycons, you get that same audio quality as other premium audio brands, but at half the price. I really do love these things. They never fall out of your ear. They will not budge. They're fantastic. Check out Raycons wireless earbuds. My guess is you're going to want to leave them a five-star review. You know, you can leave one for this podcast, and then you can leave one for Raycon. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars. Go to buyraycon.com slash stew today to get 15% off your Raycon order. Buyraycon.com slash stew. Get 15% off. B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N.com slash stew. I want to welcome Bobby Burak back to the program. He is a columnist for OutKick. Bobby, how's it going? Stu, I appreciate you having me on. Hey, by the way, want to give you props. Last week, you had a gun control debunk special. The best one I've seen anywhere. I know I usually start these segments making fun of your suit, making fun of your hair. But right now, i got to give you props to start this one. <laughs> Thank you, man. I appreciate it. It is one of those things where, you know, I feel like the media does not even attempt to do its job and be honest. And so we, we felt like we had to push back a little bit. I know you guys do this as well over at OutKick. It's important. The, the world needs it right now. Of course. And I always say a journalist or a TV anchor, they essentially have one job, Stuart, to ask questions, give information that the audience doesn't have, and they're just not doing that anymore. So whether it's topics of immigration, gun control, race, Pride Month, whatever, it's up to journalists and anchors to ask questions and debunk falsehoods that often the media is spreading. It's, it's so true. And it's most important, I think, when we come to these sort of mob type issues where you're not allowed to say anything differently. It's June. So everyone's got the rainbow, uh, you know, uh, emojis in their in their uh, profile pictures. You know, this thing with Pride Month is really like, look, none of us, everybody agrees as far as I, I don't know anybody who does not agree that people all deserve equal rights. That is something, of course, we all believe. But like. 
That is apparently not what these corporations believe. You went through some of this and found the way that they're handling Pride Month in the United States a little different than the way they're handling it around the world. Yeah, I woke up, I think it was last Wednesday, and just my entire page of all social media just been bombarded with rainbow flags from Pfizer to Facebook to Coca-Cola to BMW. I thought, wait a minute, don't these companies that are branding themselves all around LGBT rights and equality, don't they do business in Saudi Arabia and China and Russia? Um, so I started doing some digging, and Stu, it was unbelievable. So Pfizer the most powerful pharmaceutical company in the world, which I think really changed our policy making over the past two years. In the U.S., all their social media pages had their rainbow flag and they're saying things like, be bold, be proud, be gay. But in Saudi Arabia, where it's a crime to be gay or trans, they've wiped that completely clean. If you're using social media or the internet in Saudi Arabia, you would think that Pfizer is completely anti-gay, the exact thing, exact thing they pledge to be against here in the United States. So it just goes to show you that these corporate brands, they don't really believe in anything, Stu. They just believe in themselves and what's best for their bottom line. They will take any position in any country, no matter how inconsistent and hypocritical, just to extend their brand and reputation. See, here in the U.S., it's trendy to be progressive, woke, supporter of the rainbow. But it's not trendy in the other countries. I got to say, too, you, you have you caught maybe the best example of this with Disney, where Disney not only is doing the same thing you described with Pfizer, where they're, you know, you get the, you got the uh, you know, rainbow here and over in those other areas. They don't have that. But also they're legitimately editing homosexuality out of their movies at behest of the Chinese government. And then here it's all pride, pride, pride. Well, and the public leader of the propaganda narrative that the Florida bill tells teachers that they can't use the word gay with students. Disney is the front facing leader of that here mm -hmm. in the U.S. But when China says, hey, edit out this scene, it makes us uncomfortable that a man's kissing another man. Disney kowtows and edits the scene directly out. You even saw Warner Brothers Media, whatever it's called, now the place that owns CNN, they did the same thing. They had a film that alluded to homosexuality, and China said, hey, take that out, and they immediately edited it out. So these people aren't hiding anything. They have different movies in China and the U.S. just to appease, like you said, the Chinese Communist Party. I mean, th all of this stuff is incredibly hypocritical. And like I said a couple of weeks ago, Pride Month is no longer about the LGBT community or supporting it. It's about American brands trying to virtue signal and expand their image to what's advantageous to themselves. And it's entirely backwards. You know, Bobby, I think that's what really bothers me the most about this. Like, you know, OutKick has a point of view, right? Uh, yeah. The Blaze has a point of view. I, you know, Ben and Jerry's has a point of view. They really don't like Jews and they don't like Israel. Right. Um, but like, it, having a point of view is okay. It's okay to believe something. And like, there are a lot of brands that, you know, I, you know, I can't name any off the top of my head, but a lot of brands that I think really like the focus of their company might be LGBTQ issues. And if that's what you are, that's fine. But like, it's worse with these big companies because they don't even seem to believe it. I, I'm, I'm torn on as to which is better. I think I'd rather have someone be honest with me, be completely woke. I might even disagree with all of their viewpoints, but at least they're telling me what they believe. The companies you cite in the piece, 
they don't seem to actually believe these things because if they did, they certainly wouldn't be doing business in Saudi Arabia. They wouldn't be kowtowing to the Chinese Communist Party. These things would be completely offensive to them and they would leave all that money on the table because they wouldn't want to interact with these hateful governments. It's, it's not even real. Yes, yeah, so well said. And this goes back to why I've long defended Rachel Maddow, someone I don't agree with on any stance. But Rachel Maddow is open about her biases. She says, I'm an opinionist. I lean left and I despise the GOP. I respect that. If you're going to be honest, I respect your opinion and your bravery to say that. My issue is these celebrities and quote unquote activists and influencers and Instagram models that all of a sudden have now become politically positive and jumping into all these discussions because now they think it's important for them for their brands to be politically active and it's just like you said they don't really believe in any of this stuff i mean you saw last night an espn commentator call the tampa bay rays bigots for not carrying the gay pride flag on their jerseys and there was old tweets showing that Sarah Spain, the host who said that, she was never for the LGBT community. So these people are changing their opinion. They're involved in not with the times, but what's best for their brand. So these people need to be called out as not just hypocrites, but complete opportunistic. Mm, it really is. It's, it seems to be pretty clear. We had uh, Jonathan Isaac on the show uh, yesterday. Yeah. Here's a guy who takes a stand for what he believes in. You know, whether you agree with all of his stances or not, it's something you can respect. And I don't mind somebody being uh, you know, on the left and saying things that I disagree with. I can handle that. I can't handle the dishonesty. Bobby, when you go through these times when the mob is saying you do one thing. I remember going back to uh, the BLM times in 2020 when everyone was, I think it was, everyone was posting like, you know, just blacked out their pictures or something for the day. There was some trend that was going around. I think it was Instagram. And everybody was doing it. People that I follow that were, you know, conservative were doing it. And obviously, like, everybody understands, you know, what happened with, with George Floyd. But it's not about that. It's about the virtue signaling. Why do people... To feel the need to fold to these mobs. Why don't they stand up and say what they really believe? Yeah, so um, you'll remember around December, the media blew up when Joe Rogan had Dr. Robert Malone on his show and he talked about mass formation psychosis. And you can interpret that in different ways, but from what I look at it is what he was talking about is that people in power and the media influences, they can get people to buy in and lead them in any direction. There's no more effective form of fear pressure at this point, Stu, than social media timelines. Like I said, look at hashtag mask up, hashtag BLM, or hashtag I stand with Ukraine, putting the Ukraine colors in your bio. So many people see that is brainwashed, and they want to join that because they want to be a part of something special. They feel left out if they don't support the quote-unquote current thing. And there's a fantastic meme that says, I support the current thing, which just shows people will support whatever the in crowd is telling them to in the moment. And moreover, people are afraid not to support this stuff, right? Like, like I said, I don't think most Americans care about putting their preferred gender pronouns in their bio, but it's awfully hard to call somebody anti-gay if they have those in those bios. It protects them. Um, most people don't support the BLM rioters, but pretending they do and putting the BLM fist on their Twitter page, it makes it much harder to say, hey, that guy's racist. Wait a minute. You can't call me racist. I support BLM. So it's cowardice. And they look at these as protective shields. I mean, I go back to 
I stand with Ukraine. All that was is to show people, hey, don't accuse me of rooting for Vladimir Putin. As <laughs> bizarre as that is, that's what this is all about. People were afraid that you were going to say, oh, that guy's a supporter, a, a sympathizer of Vladimir Putin. Nope, no, I'm not. I got I stand with Ukraine in my bio. All of this is a farce. Yeah, we have, we always talk, we have the uh, mugs and T-shirts that say wokeness yeah. is weakness. And it's like that is really what it is. It's like, you know, there are people who really, you know, I, I know I have a friend who whose wife is Polish and he went over right. to Poland to serve the Ukrainian refugees coming across the border. He really freaking stands with Ukraine. That's real. That's not, you know, right. it's not on the Internet. And I think we, we have this p- point where like, we care so much about what other people think about us that we feel the need to constantly signal where we are. Um, I, I love what you said about the, the, the current thing because that is really where people are right now. I hope, uh, Bobby, in your bio, I mean, I'm gonna go check as soon as we get off the air here, but I hope in your bio you are supporting the current thing, which is the first tra- transgender cheerleader is coming to the NFL. Justine Lindsay is going to be a Carolina Panthers uh, cheerleader. I assume you have uh, front row tickets for the first game. I do, and I want to thank her for her courage. I know ESPN gives out awards for people like that, so I want to thank her for her bravery. <laughs> very, um, you know, very admirable. And, you know, my bio, one thing is, is that I'll stick and stoop. People might go to my page, and because I didn't tell them that I'm an anti-racist and anti-bigotry, I might need to insert that in my bio (laughs) just so they know because nobody can call me any of these terms if I tell them I'm not one of them, right? Because right now, I don't say that, so they might not know. And just the simple, hey, I'm not a bigot. And nobody can call me a bigot ever again. That's how it works, I think, based on the research I found. I'm pretty sure you're right. I mean, it's. I feel like we, there was a time where we just assumed people weren't bigots until they did something bigoted. And at that point, you could start to think that they're bigots. Now it's the opposite. Well, in, in, in corporate America, especially in the media and these big television roles, people need to prove that they're not racist. The default is that white guy's probably racist. He's approved to us that he's not racist. Like you said, at one time it was, well, if you do or say something racist, we'll call you a racist. Now it's like, well, that guy is white, he's conservative, he ought to be a racist. He better show us that he's not. Think of how backwards that is. It really is. Uh, Bobby Burak is covering this stuff all the time. Uh, he's got another great piece about CNN when you're gonna get a chance to get to, but you should check it out because CNN might be having some interesting changes in their lineup uh, coming up soon. Bobby Burak, he's a columnist for OutKick. Bobby, thanks for coming on the program, man. Stu, thank you. Yeah, and if CNN starts firing people, they might even have to come hire me because that bench is getting pretty light. <laughs> Back in a second. <laughs> We're just a month away, basically, from Studios America and our 500th episode anniversary power hour. Yeah, we're going to be celebrating 500 episodes of this stupid show. And because it is such a milestone, we're going to be doing something a little different. We're inviting you to come hang out with us for the Power Hour. If you could make it to uh, Mercury Studios, we're in Irving, Texas, by the way. Uh, July 8th is the uh, date. Go to stewdoespowerhour.com. Stewdoespowerhour.com. You fill out the form, uh, and you'll be uh, included in the uh, you know outreach for. We're going to try to. I don't know how many people can fit, but uh, if you get in line faster, the better chance you have of getting in. Fair warning: uh, it's going to be a little sloppy. Uh, past power hours have been a little sloppy. This could be worse, but I will say this. At least you will forget about Joe Biden's destruction of our country for a couple of hours, at least one hour. 
Probably a couple hours afterward, too. It gets a little messy. StuDoesPowerHour.com. StuDoesPowerHour.com. Sign up. Be an audience member. Join us. It is a lot of fun, and you will forget about Joe Biden for a second. You can hit us up on social as well if there's anyone that you'd like to be on the panel. Um, if you see someone in the media you think might be fun on a power hour, uh, let us know. And that would be really fun. StuDoesPowerHour.com. StuDoesPowerHour.com. Back in a second. You know, buying or selling a home is already difficult. It's already stressful. It's already the biggest decision you probably will ever make in your life when it comes to finances. So you better have somebody you can trust that is on your side. You do need that. You need an agent that can take all of that responsibility seriously. Realestateagentsitrust.com is the place to go to find that person. They work with the best agents in your city, in your area. Uh, They do their homework. They talk to every agent before inviting them on. They look at all their credentials, all their results. Want to make sure that they are the best agent in your area. And, uh, you know, not somebody who's like kind of doing it here and there when they have time. Someone who's a full-time professional that knows this better than anybody. Who is that person in your area? I don't know. I know. I'm not realestateagentsitrust.com. Go to them. Ask them. Realestateagentsitrust.com is the place to go to get uh, all of this uh, information and find the best agent in your area. Realestateagentsitrust.com. Check it out now. Realestateagentsitrust.com. Hey, hey, what do you say? How is Alexandria victim today? <laughs> yes, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, a victim once again today. Why? Because people will just not call her Latinx. Latinx. I'm sorry, Latinx. Thank you, Joe Biden. Uh, People will not use the term Latinx or Latinx. They don't seem to want to have any any part of that for some reason. And Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez says, In the spirit of pride, I wanted to have a note on gender inclusivity in the Spanish language. People sometimes like to make a lot of drama over the term Latinx, but before or Latinx, but before Latinx, uh, people people were trying to do this, like using an at symbol to have the A and the O in Latino and Latina together. That was, by the way, also insane, just in case anyone was wondering. Um, Gender is fluid. Language is fluid. You don't have to make drama over it. See, it's you that's making the drama. You're the you're not the one that tried to put a, a brand new word out there, Latinx, that, by the way, Latinx, sorry, Latinx, almost every almost every Latino or Latina person is like, that is dumb. Don't call me that. They hate that term in every public poll that has ever been taken. Yet AOC wants to redirect the anger uh, at you because you're the one. It's not her who's obsessed with what the word is. It's you making drama over Latinx or Latinx. Latinx. Thank you very much. Um, California has its big election uh, primary today. The biggest one I'm interested in, we've talked to Michael Schellenberger before. I'd love to see him win the nomination or the way it works in California is the top two come out of the primary and they go against each other in November. Now, there's a Republican running there, too, as well. I probably, in some things, would agree with him on uh, more often, though Michael Schellenberg, I think, actually has a chance if he can get on a debate stage with Gavin Newsom. If nothing else, I want to see that debate because Gavin Newsom doesn't know anything about anything. And Michael Schellenberger knows a lot about the issues that actually matter to people in California. We'll see if he can come out of that primary. Eric Swalwell is also uh, in that primary, Uh, I guess. He's probably running unopposed uh, because 
who could come up with a reason that you'd want him out? Sure, he's been having sex with Chinese spies, but, the, you know, and he's farting on live television. But other than that, he's been a great congressman. Um, all, there is a, one other thing I want to draw your attention to. He's having a little issue with travel expenses. Now, look, we've all been on vacation before. And, you know, uh, we've all worked before. We've all gone on work trips. Eric seems to like these work trips at five-star hotels and has spent $60,000 in just six weeks going to Miami and Paris, which, if, if I'm not under, I could be mistaken here, but I don't believe they're in California's 15th district. Uh, so we'll have to check on that and see uh, for sure, but I, I don't believe so. All of this is going very poorly for Democrats. It's not just me saying this. It's not just you saying this. It's not just Democrats who know this aren't saying it but do know it. It's also pollsters. Uh, Harry Enten, he's one of the best, actually. Uh, he is at uh, CNN. And you might say, wait, one of the best works at CNN? Yeah, actually, Harry Enten is really good. He knows this stuff really well. Here's what he's talking about when it comes to the coming midterm elections. If you're a Republican running for re-election or trying to unseat a Democrat, things are looking pretty good, right? I would say they're looking very good from a historical context. So basically, I took the best Republican positions on the generic congressional ballot at this point in midterm cycles since 1938. That generic ballot basically is, uh, would you vote for the generic Republican or generic Democrat in your district? And guess what? Since 1938, the Republican two-point lead on the generic congressional ballot is the best position for Republicans at this point in any midterm cycle in over 80 years. It beats mm. 2010 when Republicans were up a point. It beats 14, 2002, 1998, where Democrats led by a point. And in all of those four prior examples that make this list of the top five, look at that. Who won a majority? It was the Republicans who won a majority. I mean, it's it's true. This is a potential wave. The Republicans can still screw this up. I give you that disclaimer, but they shouldn't. Any Republican should be able to win in this environment. And this should be a wave election. We'll see what happens. If you're listening with your kids and I give you about five seconds or you're going to be experiencing a lot of giggling. OK, I'm just fair warning, giggling on the other side of this. I, I've I've told you and now I've done my job. OK, so here's what happened. Penis man. Yes, penis man. He's a he's a man. We don't know if he well, we don't know if it's a man. Who knows how who knows how anyone identifies these days. But we will say that we do know that penis man is in Tempe, Arizona. And apparently what's happening is that people someone's writing the words penis man all over town and, you know, in graffiti. And it's obviously upsetting some authorities there as you see some of his handiwork, uh, penis man. Um, and so they finally got, they tracked this guy down. Now, I was just going to tell you they arrested him, which they did. But you also need to know that they arrested him with a SWAT team. Now, okay, penis man, I don't know necessarily if you needed a SWAT team. They said 25 har uh, heavily armed SWAT officers. They pointed a silenced assault rifle in his face, according to him. They swarmed his entire complex, and he was booked on 16 counts of aggravated criminal damage, eight counts of criminal damage, and one count of criminal trespassing, all related to where he spray-painted penis man. But here's what happened. While he was in custody, 
He said, I'm not penis man. I am a disciple of penis man, which sounds ridiculous. What do you mean a disciple of penis man? Until while in custody, another penis man sign popped up. I should use that phraseology. But you understand what I'm saying. Another person apparently went and put penis man in another part of town. Now, the guy who got arrested said (laughs) he heard about penis man at a bar and he decided to write penis man in graffiti on a building because he, quote, thought it was a good message, which is, uh, I just don't even know how to, how to describe how amazing of a sentence that is.